the Baltic Sea is known for its cold, dark waters, surrounded by the likes of Russia, Germany, Sweden, Finland and the Baltic nations. It's been a busy sea route for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years. That is why there may be as many as a hundred thousand shipwrecks in the bottom of the sea waiting to be discovered, often exceptionally well preserved, thanks to the low temperatures and darkness in the depths. Carl Douglas is a Swedish historian and entrepreneur who has set out to reveal the secrets the sea still holds. He's been tracking down ships that never reached their destinations and has now, in collaboration with his fellow diver and photographer Jonas Dam, released the photo book Ghost Ships of the Baltic Sea. I am Markus Hippip and I was joined by Carl a bit earlier to discuss his new book, his ongoing work with the Baltic Sea and what he would still like to discover one day. Let's have a listen. My fascination started with Hans and Lotti Haas and, and Jacques Cousteau watching those programs when I was little. But then I'm also afraid of water. I was thrown in at age five or something, and I'm still not comfortable on the surface. The guys in the boat know that they need to pick me up right quickly. So the fascination is is both terror and fascination. But once I started diving and seeing what what hides behind the cap, the sort of uh, the, the lid that is uh, the surface, I became uh, completely uh, enamored and, and just fascinated by reaching below and seeing what, what is below the surface, just as you would with, with a person that you meet, what, what lies within, what lies, lies uh, inside. Before we talk about what you can find from there, what actually lies there deep in the dark waters. Let's go back to the noughties. Let's go back to late 1990s, early noughties. You were one of the people who decided to solve one of the biggest mysteries in the region. You wanted to find a Swedish DC-3 airplane that was shot down over the sea in 1952. Tell us more about that. In 1952, the world was a very different place. The Baltics was occupied by the Soviets and there was you know, the Cold War and the wall had risen up, as Churchill expressed it. The Korean War was going on. So Sweden found itself sort of on the, on the front lines in the uh, standing up to the Soviets. And we had a lot of intelligence gathering going on. And one of the things was this DC-3 that made 47 flights. Well, finally, the Soviets got sick of it and shot it down in a conscious act. Since that day, eight men were missing from their families. As far as Sweden was concerned, it just disappeared. It was gone. There was a a brief call that was interrupted, and then it disappeared. And four days later, one of the search planes, a Catalina, was also shot down. But this time, the crew survived and was rescued. So it was a it was a very tense time. And I think it talking to older people, it it really affected that generation, and it really affected Swedish foreign policy and Swedish security policy. Uh, that is to say, it's okay to act together with the West under the surface, but on the surface, we have to uh, abide by our, our supposed neutrality. It was a key moment in Swedish history. So we had the year before we, we decided to find a, a, a Soviet submarine missing uh, from, from World War II, the S-7. And uh, we were very lucky. We, we found it while testing our equipment, actually outside the search grid that we had uh, that, that we had designed. It was the, the S7 was sunk by a Finnish submarine, the Vesihisi, 
or the sea monster. Then we decided, well, you know, that couldn't, that wasn't so difficult finding submarines. How difficult can it be? And in a typical sort of hubris, we decided to go for the most difficult thing to find in the Baltic. So it started as a dive adventure, but very quickly it became much, much more than that. When, when we realized that here are eight families, eight widows, none of whom remarried, lots of children that, that are missing, that, that just have not been told what happened. So we decided to honor them by telling their story. And the first step in, in honoring them was to find their final resting place. And now if we fast forward to 2021, you have just released this beautiful book, Ghost Ships of the Baltic Sea. You've released it via a foundation you have launched. It's called Voice of the Ocean. And in the foreword for this book, you say that that as a matter of fact, the Baltic Sea is the best place for diving in the world. I think you should explain that considering that we're talking about very cold, very dark waters. The Baltic is unique in that uh, it has a rich history, uh, a rich and long history of of people moving across the sea and, and lots of trade going on back and forth and also lots of conflicts. And also it's it's a very finicky sea, there are lots of shoals and rocks and storms come come up quickly, ice, you know, you name it. So there are a lot of shipwrecks, unfortunately. And then comes the second factor, which is that due to the cold and due to the lack of salinity, uh, the Baltic is brackish, wood is preserved. So we, in the book, there are Swedish battleships from the 1600s and from the 1500s that we regularly dive on. Uh, with permission, of course, and and there are even uh, possibly some older shipwrecks that we're that we're working on identifying. But even even you know a steamer from the late 1800s or early 1900s, all the wood is still there. And when you can read text that says for the use of seamen, it's a special place to dive because it allows us to really dive into history and to see the, the inside of the cabins and to see a clock on the wall that stopped on the exact time that the ship sank. It allows us to, to dive into history. And that's the sort of feeling that we want to convey and that we've worked for 14 years since the last book, uh, uh, working on this book in order to convey that feeling. We want to bring the, uh, the reader down with us to the bottom of the sea. And you do it very successfully. I was just saying earlier before we started recording this interview that it's one of the most impressive books I've seen about the topic. Amazing, amazing photography. Carl, tell us more about what you encounter when you when you dive into the Baltic Sea. It's it's astonishing that you estimate that there may be as many as a hundred thousand shipwrecks over there. We're talking about very busy waters. We've we've seen a lot of historical events over there. When you go there, do you, do, you, do, you, do you see the history differently? Do you see different historical milestones over there? Do you feel like you become a witness of what has happened before? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, we are all, what's within reach of your arms is always where you focus and that always will always affect you. So even the peoples, the various peoples that live around the Baltic have have slightly different historical points of view. And I think that's a good thing. As a historian, I also think it's important that, I mean, the key thing with history is to learn from history. I don't, you know, I want to celebrate those Swedish flyers 
that were shot down, but I also celebrate the Russian submariners. Yes, they were the enemy, but they were also people. And I think it's important the the German submariners, the German World War I cruiser crews, you know, I think it's important to remember the people and not, not the regimes they, they fought for. We have to remember those as well. So looking at history through different monocles, I think is, is very, very, uh, very, very important. I know we both remember what happened in the autumn of 1994 when when a ferry called Estonia sank down in in an autumn storm. That is a place where you can't go to, but otherwise, how easy is it to access those waters? Well, I hasten to point out that can and not allowed are two different things. In Sweden, and I think in Finland as well, we, we have this idea that we just make it illegal and the problem is solved. And that's just not so. Estonia has been well-dived. Uh, I have reliable rumors that that uh, the tax-free shop was absolutely emptied just within a few years of, of its sinking. So there is diving going on. How difficult is it? Well, it, it's, it's deep, it's cold, and it's far out to sea. It's the same, you know, it's the same around the UK when you go offshore and you people dive the Lusitania and many of those other historical wrecks the battle of jutland uh, is is dived today and i think it's important that that we we dive these wrecks in order to tell the stories and and so do a lot of other people in in various places and jonas has the photographer for this book and and my friend and cohort in in this <laughs> strange endeavor he has developed these photographic techniques in order to show the wrecks at their best how do you find those Rex, do you get tips from fishermen or do you have an instinct? You go to different places and just try your luck. The ocean is mighty big, so your instinct is not going to be super helpful. We gather information from many sources. Fishermen are are the most important source. And and without them, uh, we would never have found. In our group, we have found maybe 400 wrecks. And we've dived maybe two or 300 more that, that others have found. You know, we find them in, we, we look in archives, we, we look at eyewitness reports, uh, we talk to the local people who saw things happen at sea, and then we try to piece something together. And sometimes we find wrecks that we are looking for, and sometimes we find lots of other wrecks, but not the one we were looking for. And then we have to figure out which which individual wreck is it. And with the, uh, with the steel with iron and steel ships, that's relatively easier than, than when you have a, a pile of wood uh, on the bottom of the ocean. And, and some of those will never be identified, as, as we point out in the book. What do you think have been the most significant or most memorable things you've seen there? That's a trick question for me. <laughs> for me, every wreck, every dive is, is a special moment. But the first dive on any historically significant wreck is special but i have to bring out the 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 swedish battleship of the 1676 sunk in 1626 the sword or svadet in in swedish because was very special for me because an ancestor commanded it the year before it was sunk so he wasn't on board during that battle so for me that was that was truly special to visit some place where my ancestors had walked what is it like for you when you dive into the Baltic Sea? Do you feel like the feeling of discovering a new shipwreck is something great? Or would you prefer actually going and 
seeing, visiting some shipwrecks you've visited already in the past? Oh, I love coming back to shipwrecks. And, you know, of course, we'd like, we love diving in warm, nice and warm uh, waters as well. Everything is so much easier in, in, in warm waters. Uh, but each place has its advantages and disadvantages. I mean, dive, I've dived some around the UK and, and the currents are, are, are just insane. And we have our environmental challenges with, with the temperature and, and and so on. But for me, everything, everything under the sea is, is discovery. It, it's, it's, you know, like they say in Star Trek, to, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Of course, these, these are shipwrecks. So, so, of course, they have been populated and some of the seamen are still there. Exactly. As you mentioned, when you, when you go and visit a shipwreck, you, you may find a lot of cargo, but you may also encounter remains of people who died when those ships sank. Yes. And, you know, for a Russian friend of mine expressed it very well when he said, uh, they still live there. It's their house. When you visit somebody's house, you, you knock on the door and you, and you ask to come in and they will ask you, oh, what are you doing? And you say, well, we're here to tell your story. And, and hopefully they will then say, okay, well, I'll let you visit for that then. Um, it's that kind of respect that, that we try to approach diving on, on, on these, on these uh, shipwrecks, particularly the ones with, with massive casualties, thousands. And that's what we talk, we talk about it a fair amount in, in the book, that it's important for us to tell the stories so that we all remember. Exactly. And what should we learn and what should we be hearing from you and what should be reading from the pages of this book? What is the message? All war is bad. It's simple as that. And it, it should only be a last resort. You also work with with your foundation. In this book, you also you also mention how, how even in the Baltic Sea, you can see that it has changed over the years. What kind of stories have you heard from, from people who may be older than you, who may be more familiar with what the sea was like decades ago? What has this change been like? I remember distinctly talking to some older wreck, wreck divers and them uh, explaining that, that visibility uh, used to be uh, extremely good. And then I started researching that and I looked at some of the early attempts using dive bells and they, had, they could see 30, 40 meters. And of course, we have that visibility out in the ocean sometimes, but closer to shore, it's, it's nowhere near. And Visibility is a big challenge for us uh, when we when we take these pictures. So that's just one. You know, another thing is we notice that it's noticeably less fish. Jonas was just saying to me the other day that this year he has yet to see a single fish on dives. And that has never happened before. How does your work continue with your foundation? Well, in the foundation, we want to tell stories from the... I mean, basically, we continue with what we've been doing for the for the past uh, 20 years, which is tell stories about the ocean in order to increase engagement, to, to lift the lid, to make people understand, to show people what, what it looks like underneath the surface. But we also continue our, our other line, which is uh, doing data collection about the ocean, because obviously, in order to better take care of the oceans, we need to know much, much better. I mean, we know much more about the backside of the moon than we do about the, the, the oceans. Uh, even though the Baltic is the one ocean we know, we know the most about, we know next to nothing. And we really need to change this 
as a matter of priority in order for us to take better care of the oceans and better manage uh, the oceans, which is important for humanity. I mean, I always say the planet will survive. It's just us humans will have a bit of difficulty going forward with climate changing and, and seeing what effects. I'm focused on what data do we need in 10 years in order to make better decisions then. That's the research we're doing. Basic data collection, what the ocean actually looks like physically. So that's what we do in Voice of the Ocean. And how many mysteries are there still left? What do you want to discover still from the sea? Well, I have a crazy dream to find a Phoenician uh, trading vessel. Everybody says that they don't, they didn't come this far. They only went to Bretagne or, or someplace in France. And, and I have a, I have a hope that they came to the, the Baltic. You know, we haven't found any Viking ships. So obviously, as as Jonas puts it, they were better sailors than than we maybe give them credit for. But I, I'd love to find an intact Phoenician ship or a Viking ship, so that we can gain better understanding how they sailed. Carl Douglas there. He has released the photo book Ghost Ships of the Baltic Sea together with Jonas Dam. This edition of the Monocle Weekly was edited by Steph Chungo. I am Marcus Hippie. Thanks for listening.